me, I have had times in my life where I thought, you know what, my list of uh, bad things in my life is too long, and it's certainly too long for God to love me, and th I have felt that way about myself. You, you say, but Harley, you're the pastor. Well, this pastor got a list. <laughs> I got my list, and it's long, and you may have that, you may have had some of those similar feelings, and, and I wouldn't blame God if he rejected me. I would not blame God if he pushed me to the side and said, you have been too bad. I'm just going to have to pass you by. I wouldn't blame you. If I saw someone with the list that I had, maybe I would do that. Maybe I would do that. I don't know, but here's the thing. God did not do that, and I am so grateful. He did not reject me, and he has not rejected you either. Jesus accepted me right where I was, and I, and, and I had reasons probably why he should reject me, and he didn't. Instead, he met me where I was with all of the junk in my life, and he said, I accept you. He doesn't like the things, the junk, and doesn't accept that junk in my life, but he accepts me as his creation. And that's the very same thing he does for you. And that's important to us to make sure you understand that. At Stuttgart Harvest Church, we want you to know. It's so important. We made it one of our core values, acceptance, that God meets you right where you are and he grows you one step at a time. He doesn't expect you or me to clean my life up and then come to him because he knows that's impossible for us. We will never come to him if that's a requirement. So he meets us, you and me, right where we are, and he grows us one step at a time. And, and, you know, in order for Jesus to do this for us, he had to change some things. He had to do some things differently, make some changes in the culture and in the way they did things. We talked about that last week. And that's important to us, too, at Stuttgart Harvest Church, change. In fact, this morning when you walked in, everything's changed up, right? We got chairs all packed up in the lobby, and we got... Stuff that's normally in the lobby out on the porch, so we're all sweating out there gathering up all of our snacks. And, you know, but that would change. change is important to us, to, the ability to change and to change quickly. Um, that's important to us. And Jesus made some significant changes in order to make it possible for us to be in a relationship with Him and to make it possible for Him to come to us right where we are. So let's say that you believe that. Okay, just for the sake of argument this morning, let's just say, okay, I believe that Jesus did. He changed up, you know, kind of changed all the rules and did things differently. And he went to the cross and died for me. And he rose again three days later. Because he did that, then he has purchased my life. He bought it. And I'm giving it to him freely because he did that. If you believe that, let's just assume today that that's a reality. So then what's after that? What happens after we believe that, after we give him our lives? Well, I know for me, I know, okay, well, I'm supposed to worship God. I, I know that so I'm supposed to worship God. So I the best I could, I, I did. So I knew the church I was going to, they had Sunday school, so I went to Sunday school. And then after Sunday school was over, then they had a, a church worship experience, and I went to that on Sunday mornings. And then that afternoon, I came back to the church, and we had some a discipleship training time, and I did that. And then that evening, we had another worship experience, and I did that. And then on Mondays, we had kind of an outreach visitation program. That's where you go and knock on people's doors that don't want you to knock on them, and you go inside and talk to people that do not want you to talk to them, and you just kind of make them, I'm going to talk to you. And so they don't want it, but anyway. So we did that. That was on Monday. I thought I was supposed to do that. We did that. And then like on Tuesday, sometimes Tuesday morning and early mornings before 
class and everything. I, we had a prayer time. I thought, that's something good. I should do that. So I did that on Tuesdays. And then on Wednesdays, had church on Wednesdays, had, kind of had another teaching time, discipleship time, did that. And then we had another worship experience after that. So I did that on Wednesdays. And so those were just the church thing. And then sometimes we even had a prayer breakfast, focus on prayer with a little bit of, focus on breakfast with a little bit of prayer, actually. That's the way it worked. And so I did that because I thought I was supposed to do that. And so I did all of these things. And that's before I even tell you that I actually had a life and I was living too and did other things. But all of that was church, and I, and, I, and I kind of under the umbrella of worship, and I thought, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the way it works, right? Um, that's what I do. We're supposed to. The Bible tells us we're supposed to worship, so I'm worshiping. Now, perhaps you grew up similar, but maybe you had other traditions. Maybe you did, maybe you were just as involved, but maybe you grew up with other traditions and you knew as I did when you were supposed to stand and when you were supposed to sit. You knew when you were supposed to repeat something that someone else said and when you were supposed to say your part and do your part or do your things. And you knew when to stand or when to kneel, when to sit. You knew that there were certain things you were supposed to do at certain times and certain positions you were supposed to take when you did those certain things. And maybe you knew all of that and you did all of that because that was worship, right? So often those are the things we do. And if we don't do those things, then we have a feeling that God's not going to hear us. Well, God is getting ready to kind of shake all of that up. And we're going to use this same, we're going to continue where we left off last week. Last week we left off with Jesus who was talking to this Samaritan woman. And we know Jesus changed things to do that because Jews did not talk to Samaritans. But Jesus made a change, said, hey, we're going to do things differently. We're going to get it all different up in here. And he said, we're going to break down some of these racial things. And he said, I'm going to, we're going to reach everybody. I've created them all. So he has a conversation with this person that normally a Jew would never be touched, seen, talking to. So he um, had a conversation. Plus, she was a woman. So the rabbi and the woman, it just that wasn't a thing that was going to happen back then. But Jesus said, hey, I'm going to do things differently. And it was a woman who had this long list of sin and things that she had done her way and, and it was not God's way. And this conversation happens immediately after Jesus says to her, hey, okay, okay, you want to have this conversation? Go get your husband. And um, she says, oh, um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know, I know. You've had five, five husbands and then he said, the guy you're with now, not your husband. So interesting, right? Very interesting. And Jesus did not, had not met her. She knew this. Jesus doesn't know. This guy doesn't know me, but he knows me. This is weird. And immediately she begins to do something. In verse 19 of this same, same verse where we left off last week, verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> and now she does what all of us, I think, would do. She begins to change the subject. <laughs> and it's like when God looks at an area of our life, we're like, oh, no, God, look over there, squirrel. <laughs> but God doesn't have ADHD, right? He's, he's going to stay focused on what he's focused on. And it's not going to, you're not going to sidetrack Jesus. So, um, but that's what God does. You know, we come to a worship experience and it's kind of like a doctor, you know, they, they 
kind of are pressing on your arm or your belly. They're looking for the spot that hurts and they find it. Ow! And then we're like, yeah, move on, move on. But no, they're going to keep pressing on that spot because that's where they're focused because that's where something's wrong. And, it, and we want them to move on and we want to change the subject. But he, Jesus, he's not going to change the subject. She tried. So here's what she did. She said, I'm going to bring up something controversial. This will get him verse 20. So tell me, why is it that the Jews, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along? So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on the mountain where our ancestors worshiped? Why is that? So she's trying to stir up a bee's nest here. Let me tell you, both the Jews and the Samaritans had their way of worshiping. They both worshiped Yahweh, God. They both worshiped the same God, but they did it a little bit differently. And each one thought that they were right. So you know how that works, right? You, you know, there's always that church in town that thinks they're the only ones going to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, they are both saying, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. We're doing it right. We're doing it right. So... Um, She's trying to change the subject. She thinks this will get him because this is a hotbed. He's Jew. He's going to be all over this one. He's not going to be messing with all my five husbands and my man now. Ain't going to have, but here's what happened. So um, verse 21, Jesus replied, well, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. I don't know how he said that, but I would like to know. Uh, but I'm sure it was a lot nicer than what I just said. But believe me. Dearest womanist, it was probably in King James the way he said it. The time is coming when it will no longer matter. Now, this is a big deal here, what he's saying. It will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying something very powerful here. Do not miss this. He's saying, The time is coming when your worship will be less about the form that it takes, less about do this certain thing at a certain time, in a certain way, with a certain posture, with these certain words. You know what I'm saying? He said it's going to be less about form, less formal, and more personal. In other words, he's saying it's going to be more about Jesus in you and less about you doing religious things. This is huge because their whole lives had been consumed with doing religious things. Interesting. Then he said this in verse 22. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Now, he's not putting them down. He just stayed in a reality because the Samaritans did not take the entire Old Testament as God's word. They cut out all of the prophets, all of the wisdom literature, all of the, all, they cut out most of the, New Test, uh, of the Old Testament, and they just taught out of two or three of the books of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you don't even, because you've, you're not even following the whole Bible, he said, you, you don't really even know who you're worshiping. And don't we tend to find ourselves kind of doing the same thing? I, I mean, you know, I, the, the truth, the sad truth is statistically, most followers of Jesus only open God's word when they're in 
church on Sunday and they see it on the screen. That's most of them. And Jesus could say the same thing to us. You don't even really know who you're worshiping, right? He could say that about, so, about us most of the time. I mean, yes, we, we could raise a hand and we can check a box and we can take a, you know, but he's saying, listen, it's no longer going to be about form. It's going to be about relationship. And then he went on to say, while we as Jews know all about him. So really, that's a powerful statement. God has let you know what he wants you to know. Are there still things about God we don't know? Tons, but we know enough. He's given us enough. That's a, that's a powerful statement. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Now, he's not saying that you have to be a Jew to be saved. He's saying it's going to come through the bloodline. It's not by the Jews. Salvation by the Jews, it's through their bloodline, and that's Jesus. Okay? So now Jesus gives her the big one right here in this conversation, verse 23. But the time is coming... And then he says, indeed, it is here now. So no more future talk. We're talking about right now. When true worshipers, so we're talking about worship. We're talking about form. He said, you're talking about what does it take to worship? Okay, he said, here it is. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And he's not talking about worship in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your spirit which is another way to say your soul. That part of you that will live forever, that God created is going to live forever. That part of you looking through your eyes right now, your soul. He said true worshipers will worship the Father through your soul, through your spirit, and in truth. So when the one-time sacrifice, Jesus on the cross, one sacrifice for all time, for all mankind, when he atones for our sin, when he pays the price for our sin, when he substitutes himself dying instead of us, when he does that, then if you choose to follow him, he places his spirit inside of you, his spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so no longer is it on this mountain or in Jerusalem not worried about where any longer because now it happens in you wherever you are sitting in here sitting in the movie at one o'clock sitting in your office cubicle sitting inside the tractor sitting inside the truck wherever you are that's where worship happens now because God's spirit moved in if you're a follower interesting huh so he said in spirit and truth. Then the, he says this. This is a powerful statement that comes after this. The Father is looking, actually looking for those who will worship him that way. Do you realize God just doesn't accept any type of worship? I mean, we can do something sincerely and we can repeat a phrase or whatever. We can do whatever. But he didn't just accept any type of worship. He's looking for this, something different, something special. He's changing things up. He's, uh, listen to what 
Second Chronicles verse 16 says, tied in with this statement I just said, that the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9, for the eyes of Yahweh, that's God, roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. In other words, God is not just saying, oh, this is the kind of worship I want, but God is actually actively looking for the person that will worship him that way. He's actively looking for you to worship him this way. He's looking. If you'll do it, he's looking for you. He will notice He's looking. This is a powerful statement. He's not looking for a, a list of activities. Listen to verse 24. Back to Jesus and this woman. For God is spirit. Now that's talking about God here. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in their spirit, in spirit, your spirit, your soul, and in truth. He's saying, so God is changing. You have been worshiping him in form and in a formal way, but now it's going to happen personally. Spirit on spirit. God's spirit and your spirit. Not a list of activities, not a list of physical things you must do, not a list of symbolic actions. God is spirit, and now he's inside of you, and this is going to be an inside job. Your spirit, his spirit, something happen happening inside of you that's actually him changing you from the inside out, rearranging you. And it's not optional. This is all he accepts, and this is what he wants. Interesting. This is so important to us that this is one of our core values at Stuttgart Harvest Church. We say worship is a core value, and this is what we mean by worship. Worshiping God with your lifestyle. That means everything you do is worship. It's either good worship or bad worship. Everything you say is worship. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping the evil one or yourself, which might as well be the evil one, right? <laughs> everything we think or we dwell on in our thoughts and every thought that we hang on to and entertain, we're either, that's either coming from our spirit and God, and that's a worshipful thing, or it's coming from our spirit and the evil one, and then we're worshiping the evil one, right? Everything we do is worship. Your life is now worship. No longer is it set aside, set of actions and rituals and things we say and things we do. He said, now it's every single thing you do. Your life is worship. This is so important. This is so huge. It's an inside job. And listen to me. You might say, oh, man, that's a huge list. Well, that's part of the reason why we do meet on Sunday is to continue to help urge you in that direction. And in fact, if you have missed any of the last nine weeks, 
go back to the Stuttgart Harvest Church app or pick it up on the internet at soundcloud.com and search for Harley Petty. Go grab it. And here's why. Because the last nine weeks, we have put you on the road to what we're talking about today. And that is living a life of worship. And it all revolves around God's spirit inside of you if you are a follower of his. And you must listen to that. It will get you on the road. The past nine weeks, the first series that started it off was called The Best You Now. Go get that off of uh, the, the app. Then the next one was called Watch Your Step. That's what we just finished. Go get that and, it's, and listen to them in the order. Best You Now and then Watch Your Step. And then if you missed last week, pick up the message from last week. It's in this series, Beautiful Things, week number one. And that will catch you up to how this can happen in your life. But this is so important to us. Now, at this point, the woman changes the topic again. She like tries to pull the Jedi mind trick on God and shift him to somewhere else. But Jedi mind trick ain't ever going to work on God. And so he keeps going. And he, he just hangs in there like a hair in a biscuit. And he does not let go. So here's what happens. Verse 25. The woman said, oh, I, I changed change subject. I, I know, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. In other words, saying, oh, I don't have to worry about all that. Because she knew, she was like, oh, he, bit, he took the bait and he knows all about this. And he, so change subject again. I don't have to worry about that. You know, whoever the Christ is, that day he comes, he'll explain it all to me. I don't have to know right now. I don't have to worry about it. But you know what? Let me tell you, we do that to God too all the time. He starts dealing with us about something. And then we leave here saying, mm, man, that, I don't, mm, don't kind of like that. I'll, I'll just kind of push that off. I'll worry about that later. But listen to me. Jesus is saying, no, we got to worry about this now. Worship always brings us to the presence of Jesus, always. And Jesus doesn't say, well, let's put this off. We'll deal with it later. He says, this is right now, right now. A Jesus who says this, listen to what Jesus told her when she said that. Then Jesus told her, I'm the Messiah. A Jesus who says, I am the Messiah, means that we have to deal with this now. That phrase demands a response. There's a lot of people who say, well, you know, Jesus was a guy. I don't know about the whole God thing and the whole, you know, Christ thing and the whole Messiah. Thing. I just don't know about the whole God thing of Jesus. But man, he was a good man. And he's taught some really good things. He was a good man and a great teacher. And I'm just going to have to tell you, if you don't believe Jesus was the Christ, then that means Jesus was a fool and he was an idiot. And he was not a good teacher. There is no good teacher that walks around and says, by the way, I'm the Messiah that has been prophesied for centuries. It's me. If you have a teacher or a pastor that starts saying he's Jesus, run. Because ain't nothing good going to happen but Kool-Aid. <laughs> Ask your old grandma what that meant. <laughs> if you didn't understand it. That Jesus, if, if, if there's just no way around it. 
that statement demands a response. Demands. Because either Jesus was saying the truth, or he was a liar and a complete idiot. Because nobody claims to be the Messiah, and they are normal unless they're the Messiah. It demands a response. We cannot leave this alone. We have to plant here, and we have to deal with it, and we have to say, is he the Messiah? And then Jesus proved it on the cross. Everything that had been prophesied happened. He proved it on the cross. Three days later, rose again. Jesus proved it. And we either have to believe it, or we have to say he was a lunatic for saying it. It demands a response. And that response is, we either have to abandon Jesus and just say, forget it. It's all a bunch of, of garbage. Or we have to submit our lives, surrender our lives because he purchased us on the cross. That statement demands a response from every single one of us. And if we choose to submit to him, then that response is worship. Worship. Verse 27, just at that moment, his disciples came back. So the subject got changed anyway, right? She was like, thank you, Jesus. And she, she didn't even know why she needed to thank Jesus. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Told you, see, change. They were shocked. But none of them had the nerve to ask. There you go. That's what happens. That's what happens with change. You know what I'm saying? People get on the backside of change. They come here back behind the scenes. They're like, I don't know why they're doing it that way. That's what they were doing. No one had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And they were just back there. Just, we don't have time to talk about this, though. I'd like to. We don't have time to. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village. That was her response. Ah, he's Jesus. Bing. <laughs> but listen to what happened. That water jar represented life to her. I mean, they had to have water, and she had to go get the water. They didn't have a well at the house. She had to go get it. And she had to go get her water when nobody else was there because, I mean, she had five husbands. Nobody had five husbands back then. And she was now living with the man that was not her husband. No, they didn't do that. And so the rest of the community shunned her, shamed her. So she shows up at, the, at a hot part of the day and she gets water by herself, hoping so every time she picked up that water jar, you, you can imagine what went through her mind. Nobody wants to be around me. They can't be around me. They won't be around me. They hate me. That water jar represented so much pain and agony and hurt and bad things in her life. And she just met Jesus, the Messiah. And do you know what she did? 
she left her water jar and she ran. You know what that means to me? It is such a beautiful picture because there is only one place for the junk and the mess and the trash and the garbage of my life. And it's at Jesus's feet. I mean, just taking all of that junk, everything to me that represents the pain and the hurt and the things that hold me back and other people's opinion and judgment of the things I've done and who I've been, all of that, we get to drop it at Jesus and take off and just run because he's the only one that can handle it. And he's the only one that can take care of the mess and the only one who can ever solve it and make it better. Because I certainly can't, but Lord knows I've tried. That jar represented life to her and she hung on to it for dear life. It represented the water they needed for every single day. And isn't that us? Don't we just feel like some of that trash and garbage we've been hanging on to, we feel like we need it. We feel like we have to have it. If I don't have it, I don't know how to act. I won't know how to live. If I don't have that person in my life, if I don't have that junk in my life, I don't know what to do. And we've been hanging on to it and hanging on to it and holding on to it and saying, I have to have it. Jesus, you paid for it on the cross. But then, and we say, thank you. And we may leave it there, but then we kind of run back in a few minutes and we kind of take some of it down because we don't know how to live without it. And Jesus says, just leave the junk. I've got it. I'm going to handle it better than you can anyway. I got it. Don't worry about it. Leave it on the cross. I've got it. And she left it. And she ran. Says she ran back to the village. Telling everyone. Listen to what she said in verse 29. She said, come and see the man who told me everything I did. And she sounds happy about it. He knows. He knows all my junk. All the junk up in my trunk. <laughs> he knows. He knows. She seems happy about it. All of it. Because finally, you met the person who knows and can do something about it. She says, could he possibly be the Messiah? When you meet Jesus, you have to make a decision. To say he's a crazy man or to say he's the Messiah. And if you land on Messiah, then you worship him. And you leave your junk behind. Even the stuff that you want to carry around and tote around. He's saying, why do you keep pulling it off the cross? I've got this. 
Don't you know that what you're leaving behind is so, so inferior to your life with Jesus? Why would you pull it off the cross and decide to deal with it yourself? But that's what we have a tendency to do. So we leave it behind. And then the other people are amazed because they begin to see a difference. Not because you're making it, because Jesus is doing it through his spirit on the inside of you out. One thought at a time, one decision at a time, one word at a time. We begin to respond differently in life. And the person you are becoming is really becoming because of Jesus. And guess what happened in verse 30? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Streaming from the village to see him. Here's what happens. When you meet Jesus, you have to decide, is this real or not? Is he a phony? Is he, is he a lunatic? Or is, is he really who he says he is? The Messiah, the Lord. You choose to follow him, to submit your life to him. He puts his spirit inside of you and begins to change you from the inside out. You leave your junk and your mess with him on the cross. And you begin to live your life with him, your spirit and his spirit like this. And that's worship. One thing at a time, one thought at a time. And people around you begin to notice a change. They begin to see things changing. And guess what you do? You go running away from the cross. And you go into the village and to your friends where you work and in your home and in your family and at school. And you say, you got to meet this guy. See what I have found. And you invite them to sit beside you. And you may have to invite them for a year or two years, but you just keep worshiping God and letting him change you from the inside out. And one day they show up and they sit beside you. And the whole time you're still inviting other people. Why? Because you're saying, you got to come and see this guy. You got to meet this guy. And guess what? They show up. And I want you to know this, Stuttgart Harvest Church, that's exactly what you have been doing. And that's why now, four years after this church started, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who show up every single week, not because we are doing anything, but because Jesus is doing something in you and you have said you gotta come and see and meet this guy that's how it works and that's what's been happening so I'm not telling you this story to beat you up or to slap you around because this is what you're doing you're already doing this and I am telling you this to encourage you don't Stop. Continue to leave your junk at the cross and not pull it back down. It's a lifelong process and you're doing it. And then people are seeing and you're saying, hey, you got to come and see this guy and see what he has been doing in my life. And you bring him and they sit down and they hear the same thing and they connect with this Jesus who's the Messiah and he starts it in their life. And I can tell you this, if you don't stop, what you're doing. 
this church is going to see over a thousand people sitting on one weekend, listening and loving and worshiping their Jesus. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Not because we're special and not because we're picked out, because we're not. We're not any different than any other church out there. It's just simply because you have learned to worship, which is everything you do and everything you say, your spirit and God's spirit. And it's an inside job and he's changing you. You're worshiping all over the place in Stuttgart in this area. And as you do, you're inviting people to come along. And this church is going to see so much growth that there is not a building in Stuttgart that will be able to contain the church called Stuttgart Harvest Church. So we'll have to do things differently. But that's okay because that's who we are. And as long as you don't stop worshiping, Jesus is going to continue to change this area. And there's not going to be a building large enough to contain you. And that's a great thing. Because all the problems we have in Stuttgart... We'd like to think they're political problems or they're problems with structure, they're problems with, they're not. All the problems we have in Stuttgart are Jesus' problems. And you've got the answer. And you are sharing it. Don't stop. Don't stop now because he's just getting started. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful. You've told us that if we will just simply love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and our mind and our strength, that we will be worshiping you, God, in spirit and in truth. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that there are hundreds and thousands of lives in this area that will be eternally changed because the people in this room today are saying, I will live a life of worship and I will invite people to come along for the ride of a lifetime. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. On the back of your connection cards, I have simply two places for you to mark. If for the first time you are saying, I need to follow Jesus, I need to give my life to him, there's a place for you to do it on the back of your connection card. Just mark that. It says I'm, I'm choosing to become a Christ follower for the first time. Mark that if that's you. Some of you, though, all of you, I'm asking if you're part of this church, if you, this is your very first time here this Sunday, I, I want you to know this. Welcome home. You're here. You found it. You're home. Now, I'm speaking to you, the church. We got that out of the way. You, the church. I've got two places for you to mark, and here's what you're saying. You're saying, Harley, I believe. I believe in the vision of this church. I believe in it. And I'm going to be on board. I'm going to be a part. So here's what you can do to be a part. The letter A simply says this. 
every single week, every time I worship God corporately here and, and even throughout the week, as I worship God, I'm going to take a step with him. And we suggest for you steps every single week. And you don't have to do the step we suggest. We're saying do the step that God lays on your heart, whatever it is, every single time. Take a step with Jesus. That's, ha that's what happens with worship. Our bottom line says this, true worship, worship leads to taking steps of life change. And then the second one, letter B. You say, yep, Harley, I'm, I agree with the vision. I'm on board with where Stuttgart Harvest Church is going. I'm with you. It says, I will invite people in and around my life to sit beside me at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And this is what you're already doing. We're just kind of confirming this and saying, yep, that's the vision of the church. I heard you say, I'm on board. I'm with you. Those two things. And now we're getting ready to do another aspect of worship. Ronnie and the band, they're going to lead us, and we're going to sing some songs that express our heart towards God. That is also a way to worship, just simply telling him what our heart feels. And the band's going to lead us in that right now. I dreamed I went.